0: Father God, thank you again. Thank you for gathering us this morning. Thank you for each one who's who's joined our group this morning. And for uh, some dear ones who we haven't heard the voices of much lately, but we certainly are happy to now. And uh, we just thank you for that, Father. We thank you that, that um, you've reminded us often of the great reasons we have to be thankful, first of all, for all things, knowing that you're the one who is sovereign. You're the one who's working all things together uh, for our good. You're the one who has us right in the very center of your perfect will. You are the one who, uh, and indeed as prisoners of hope, we have the whole uh, world on our shoulders as it were, at least from your perspective, And uh, Satan is doing what he can to uh, take control, but uh, Father, you're the one who is always ultimately in control, and you will accomplish your will and purpose, even in very hard and dark times, as you always have. Father, I, I thank you for the great healing which you've been delivering to our president, and uh, his wife and others uh, that uh, minister together with him, with him there in the government. Uh, Father, how important this is. We can't even estimate it. Um, but thank you, Father, that you rapidly brought him back to health and that he can carry on here in these last weeks before the election. And, I pray, Father, that you would encourage him greatly and that you would encourage all those that dare to speak truth to the lies that are just everywhere. And the lies, it seems, are greater and greater day by day and should be less and less believable. But apparently, the enemy has a different perspective on this. So I pray that the enemy of our souls and uh, <clears throat> Your enemy, Father, that he would be defeated and all those that stand with him would also go down in defeat. Father, I, I pray for the uh, the confirmation hearings on Amy conan Bryant. That you would protect her from the assaults of the enemy, which are surely to come. How greatly we do not know, but there is a history recently to remember. Father, I just pray for her that you would encourage her and protect her from these assaults, and I pray that she would be confirmed uh, quickly. And uh, Father, I thank you that in these hard times, we do have opportunities to reach out to many others, and the word of life is still uh, the power that it always has been. Father, I just pray that the word of your grace would go forth boldly and many would be saved in these dark days. And I pray that we would not forget that we are the light in the darkness. It's uh, a light that shines still brightly in this dark world. Thank you that we know that your power is at work in a mighty way. As our brother has shared from first Corinthians and, uh, Father, uh, may we never forget this and know that the resurrection life, the newness of life that we enjoy is uh, a light that breaks through the darkness always. And so, Father, we just pray that those we come in contact with would have uh, their hearts opened in these dark times. Father, thank you for our opportunity to meet this morning and uh, we look forward to the teaching, Father, from your word through the uh, very hand of the Apostle Paul, and we would uh, rejoice and thank you for this blessing in Christ's name, and and Amen, Amen. Okay.
1: Well, today we continue on in First Timothy.
0: I think as a title for today, I would choose this. Good ministers of truth make the difference in dark times. Good ministers of truth make the difference in dark times. Last time we considered what Paul wrote there regarding the leaders in the churches and how they really must have. Uh, A spiritual mind. And so uh, the heavenly service that God has called the leaders into really requires leaders who are heavenly minded. And uh, remember how he in great detail wrote about the elders, the bishops, the overseers, the deacons and in great detail explained what the qualifications for those must be and, and Paul wasn't mincing any words was he 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 spoke very directly he highlighted a number of areas and then with many words really in fact we saw that there are about there were at least 24 mm-hmm. 25 different uh qualifications given in these various letters First Timothy chapter 3, uh, down to the end there, gives a list of those. <clears throat> and uh, then also we looked in other scriptures in uh, Paul's letter to, to, to Titus, for example. And if we just look at the entire list, and I'm not going to go through these in, in, in any in detail today, but if we look at the, the entire list, One word stands out right at the beginning, and that word is blameless. (laughs) So no one is to be put into a position of responsibility and authority in the churches who is not, Paul says, blameless. And we pointed out how that doesn't mean without sin. What it means rather is that the person has been thoroughly uh, evaluated and uh, like like we're looking forward here this week to the evaluation publicly of uh, a prescriptive perspective, rather, a prospective Supreme Court justice, uh, these who would be placed perhaps in these offices of great responsibility in the churches would, first of all, be uh, evaluated in these various ways and dimensions. And... Uh, A few would uh, come forth through that process of evaluation as blameless. And so for each of these offices, he says the person must be blameless, meaning no open outward charge of failure. Notice how he makes a strong statement about marriage and and family in this section, too. Uh, He says the person who's qualified will be the husband of one wife. And I pointed out how that's not talking about monogamy. Uh, There are many who are monogamous who are not uh, in their character suitable (laughs) for public office in the churches, right? Uh, So really, it's an issue of character. It's not an issue of just... uh, a simple measurement like that, right? So when he says the husband of one wife, he doesn't mean as opposed to two or <coughs> 20 or something like this. He's talking about the character of the person. So in other words, a one woman kind of man. And if you wanted to paraphrase that correctly, that's what it would be. A one woman kind of man. A man uh, characterized by his his attitude regarding women that, that he would have a focus only on that one that God had chosen. Okay. And he mentions children and how they needed to be under the authority of, of the husband and uh, the wife. He makes that clear in other places and that children, meaning not those that are grown and on their own and independent, but those who are uh, still living under the realm of the authority of the parents, that they must be in subjection with all seriousness, he says. And then he adds, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? So children grow up, they have to decide for themselves how they will walk, right? And the, the, the father is not, to be judged by this although it can definitely affect one's ministry in the local church right it's how the children go but uh nevertheless the children while they're under the uh, realm of authority of the parents need to be in uh, subjection and he says faithful interesting huh uh he adds words like holy of good report to those who are without the church, not a novice. But then he adds some others that I find even more interesting and important. Uh, not that they're not all equally important. They are are all important. But he adds a few others. One is for the overseers, for the elders, He he includes this one, apt to teach. Apt to teach, so the the teaching is a gift, right, but the person who is appointed to that office uh, to to head up the ministry in the local assembly needs to be apt to teach that means uh, qualified well in teaching and the abilities associated with that. then it adds another stewards of God, I think that that means the the individual needs to understand that they are uh, representing the Lord God. And then he says, holding fast the faithful word and able to convince others. So, you see, there are a, a number of uh, requirements for those that will head up the local assemblies um, who need to be able to lead and guide in the area of the teaching of and ministry of the word of truth. He adds a lot of other things. Um, One of them that kind of stands out to me is the one uh, written this way, not given to, he does say not given to wine, but he says not given to filthy lucre. And he also says not covetous. Okay. Well, we see that in the churches, uh, these uh, requirements are not being very, carefully observed, right? That's simply a fact. That's where we are in the world today. Well, let's leave these lists behind now and go ahead, because what Paul does is to, based on his overall focus in the letter, not only this letter, but also the second letter to Timothy, based on his overall focus, which is to set forth Timothy into ministry in such a way that he can lead and guide in the building out, as it were, uh, of the, uh, the ministry of grace. And Paul will at some point be stepping aside and Timothy will t- take a leading role and he needs to be well qualified. And so Paul writes these letters to him to encourage him, certainly because he was timid in his nature, but to encourage him to be bold with the truth and to recognize that God's hand of blessing has come upon him, even with the gifts necessary to guide and lead properly, right? But those gifts needed to be exercised. And so he writes these letters to him for that purpose. And uh, I'd like to just leave that aspect of this behind as we now move into the next section by having Patty read an introductory section it's really it's re- really to set the uh, our mindset really uh, as to what Paul is really doing in these letters that he writes to Timothy but at the end of Paul's ministry when the time is short it's time to set Timothy forth now as really one who will uh, take over Paul's mantle and so in some of the last words there in the first chapter of the second letter to timothy really not long <laughs> written it seems before his martyrdom he writes these words uh to timothy patty would you read second timothy chapter one verses four through eight
1: greatly desiring to see thee being mindful of thy tears that i may be filled with joy When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in me, by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God.
0: Okay, thank you. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So, so the overall theme here is clear. The focus is on Timothy and how he must be a good example for all those other leaders that would then be, be uh, uh, sent off into the ministry uh, of teaching, preaching, and guiding and leading in the local assemblies. They had been following Paul. And he was their example. But as time passed, Timothy must be prepared to take the leadership. Okay, well, today then, let's focus uh, on uh, the end of First Timothy chapter 3 and then the beginning of chapter 4. Uh, it's all about good ministers. First of all, good ministers teach the mystery of godliness. Hmm. Secondly, good ministers should expect satanic opposition. Thirdly, good ministers first nourish themselves and then the brethren. Again, first of all, good ministers teach the mystery of godliness. Secondly, good ministers should expect satanic opposition. And thirdly, good ministers first nourish themselves and then the brethren. Of course, it's all in the, with the, in the context of Paul exhorting Timothy, but by application, of course, it applies very much today too. Um, And we'll see how it does as we go along. So first of all, good ministers teach the mystery of godliness. Hmm. Uh, What an expression of great content and meaning that is, the mystery of godliness. Gail, would you read those verses for us, please, there at the end of first Timothy chapter three verses fourteen through sixteen?
1: These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know that thou oughtest how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into
0: glory. Thank you, Gail. So the standard that Paul sets for Timothy is in this context of what he calls here the mystery of godliness. Now, we went through the letter to the Philippians, and you saw how the focus was on the mind which was in Christ Jesus right in heaven's glory when he yeah, cast aside the uh, the the full demonstration of his glory and his god godhood and entered into human form right and the mindset of Christ as he did that willing to give up what was required in order to gain something far greater through much trial, through much suffering, even the death of the cross, right? And how that mindset was so critically important. Well, here, the context then is put in terms of what he calls here, the mystery of godliness. He says it's without controversy. (laughs) The controversies about it are everywhere, everywhere in the world, right? Uh, Satan's greatest enemy is the truth. And the work and the plan of God, of course, is what Satan does everything he can to thwart, to to, to shut down, to prevent, or to uh, minimize, or to uh, remove the power thereof, right? So he attacks the word of truth because that is a, a direct uh, attack on, on the very power of God itself, right? If you attack the word successfully, you have destroyed the ministry, right? And so he he says, though, it's without controversy. So the fact is, and of course he's writing to Timothy. So, Timothy, there isn't any controversy about this. You know this. Now allow this teaching, which you know well, to control your thinking, right, basically, and your ministry. So he says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And then he he writes in these amazing words here. Uh, Before I get to that, though, I want us to just realize that what Paul is saying here is that the knowledge that Timothy has of the mystery, okay, what is the mystery? The sacred secret, right? It hadn't been revealed before, but it is now revealed through Paul, right? In other words, it's what God is doing through the finished work of his son in the world today. And much of that was not revealed in prophecy. We're living in a time that was uh, parenthetical. It was set into the prophetic calendar. And uh, through Paul, um, these mysteries, these various ones, and we've looked at that at those in great detail in the past here uh, on Sunday morning, but um this this uh overwhelming teaching it's overwhelming in the sense that it, it just uh causes us to humble ourselves before the lord completely and thoroughly just to realize the majesty the grandeur the glory of what god is doing today in the world in human hearts right in creating this heavenly organism called the body of christ and in using that for his great glory right so this teaching Timothy knew well and it's supposed to the teaching is supposed to dominate his thinking uh, as he continues to guide and lead and to grow in his ability to exercise his gifts in the overseeing of the uh, the church the body of Christ and the various assemblies the various local Uh, manifestations of the church right so that's supposed to dominate timothy's teaching okay now uh this is really the theme of the entire letter i already uh put an emphasis on what we find way back there in the first timothy chapter one and so way back there right at the very beginning of the letter Paul wrote there in verses 3 and 4 to Timothy, he says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than says here in the King James, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. <clears throat> and as I pointed out, if we translated this a little better, actually, there is an issue of what manuscripts we're talking about there. There's a big difference. A very, very small percentage of the manuscripts have words that could be translated as you find them here, godly edifying. Uh, It's really a difference in just one letter in in the Greek manuscript, just one letter different. But most of the manuscripts would be translated differently. It would be rather than the dispensation of God, the one which is in faith. So do. So it's the issue of law versus grace, faith versus works. It's salvation by faith alone, independently of any and all works, right? Or are the works of the law somehow involved? And uh, there's much uh, confusion and much teaching today. Uh, really, it does come down to storytelling and endless uh, endless uh, questions, as it says here, that are being discussed uh, um, <laughs> ad infinitum in the churches, right, leading to a lot of confusion, to say the least. So what Paul is saying is that it is the dispensation of God, the one which is by faith. That is what Timothy, what you must focus on. And so when he gets to chapter three in these verses we just read, uh that's the focus, the the uh <laughs> the mystery of godliness. Uh, now what are those words he used there again? Especially verse sixteen, right? Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now, everyone, every interpreter will immediately point out how this is clearly talking about the incarnation, right? Well, more than the incarnation, uh, Christ coming into this world, taking upon himself a perfect humanity, human flesh, but a perfect human flesh, untainted by sin, right? And it says God manifests in the flesh, right? Then it says justified in the spirit. Hmm, Interesting words. Seen of angels. Very interesting. Also, I mean, wasn't he always seen of angels? What's this talking about, right? Preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Well, I think the emphasis is on the resurrection, not the incarnation itself but the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and what was accomplished in that. Okay, that's what the focus is on here. But more than that, because the mystery of godliness also has much to do with Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that is uh, at the heart of Paul's teaching. In Colossians chapter 1, um, I'll just uh, read from uh, Colossians 1, verse 24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations that now is made manifest to his saints to whom god would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the gentiles which is christ in you the hope of glory okay christ in you so Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, was raised from the dead as a life-giving spirit that can be shared with us, okay? Uh, and so he talks here about the mystery among the Gentiles, the riches of the glory of that, how critical it is that God makes us known, right? Um And the essence of it is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ in you. That means in you and in me, we possess him in his resurrection life, right? And then he says in verse 28, whom we preach. Who is that referring to? It's referring to Christ in you, the hope of glory. So you see, this ties right back down into the whole idea of godliness being worked out today in and through us, right? It is the resurrected Christ who sh- shared his life with us, and he dwells within us. So considering those background scriptures, uh, we understand, I think, a lot more about what Paul was writing about in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Um, So, yes, when Christ was raised from the dead, it was proven to the world, as it were, that God had worked out his great plan in resurrection. It was up to the world to receive that truth, but they, for the most part, did not. Paul also writes about this in Romans chapter 1. We don't have really any time to go into it now. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 But I'll just read two verses there, verses 3 and 4. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So again, the spirit of holiness is what is being revealed there in the resurrection. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that finishes this first section, which is that Timothy, to be a good minister, must teach the mystery of godliness, right? If he does not, he will not be qualified ultimately to guide and lead the churches. Okay, that's a powerful teaching and incredible thing to consider, isn't it? If only in the churches today, those that guide and lead would teach and preach the mystery, what a difference it would make. But for the most part, they're ignorant of it, focusing rather on matters that confuse works-oriented matters that confuse the brethren. Okay, second point then. Good ministers should expect satanic opposition. (laughs) How much opposition should be expected uh, to the true minister of God? Should expect satanic (laughs) levels and degrees of opposition, right? Uh, That's what it says here. And uh, that's what what Gail just read for us. But now let's get into chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Anne, Anne, would you uh, please read these words for us where we see the level of satanic opposition that should be expected for anyone who would be a good minister of the grace of God.
2: Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which god hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth for every creature of god is is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of god and prayer
0: in the qn well, there's some things that just jump off the page here, aren't there? First of all, how strong the opposition will be. He says, in the latter times. But he's speaking to Timothy directly about his own future, right? So when it says, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall, well, what is the Spirit speaking and about what time is he speaking? I don't think this means at the end of the age or something like that, it will be different than earlier. I think it's been true all along. We've been in the latter times uh, from those days on, okay? Uh, In what sense are they latter times? By the way, that expression is only used here in this one verse, nowhere else in the Bible. It's a very special description. Latter times in the sense that The next period of time, prophetically, is sort of always on the verge. It could begin tomorrow, right? It would begin tomorrow if we were raptured today, right? <laughs> and, and Paul set forth uh, the rapture as the hope of the believer, right? And no one knows the day or the hour of that, but we should always be prepared and we should desire his appearing. And if we do, remember, if you do, or I do, desire his appearing, it'll be crowns given uh, as a result of that when he returns and calls us to meet up with him in heaven's glory. Stopping along the way to meet up with all of our loved ones who've gone before, right? Okay, so what level of opposition is to be expected? He says, <laughs> we're talking about a satanic power at work, right? Even some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, of demons, demonic activity, lies that are so powerful they can lead astray many who are not well-founded, right? He says, speaking lies in hypocrisy. What do we see in the world today and what have we always seen? Hypocrisy on the highest levels, right? Finger pointing, covering up one's sin by trying to highlight another's failure, right? Uh, this is uh, just the standard fare. Uh, he says here, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. But then then he, that means they can't, they can't any longer even feel uh, the consequence of their own hypocrisy. I mean, they don't even know it. Their minds are blinded, right? And then he highlights just these two things, which is very interesting. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from needs which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. He goes on to explain that by reference to uh, God's creative work, right? And God created the foods. To be eaten by mankind he says nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving because it's sanctified by the word of god and prayer right why does he single out just these two things forbidding to marry commanding to abstain from meats or these specified foods right i mean we might think well this is exactly what certain large religious groups are promoting and always have, right? In other words, some kind of monasticism, right? Uh, Forbidding to marry. Um, Those who will lead, those who will guide, and so forth must be uh, celibate, right? So forbidding to marry. And then to be very careful about what one eats, avoid certain foods, and focus on others, and do that religiously, and... It's not just uh, <clears throat> the largest uh, church in the world that claims to be Christian that promotes these things, but it's also the leading religions in the world. Uh, they are also very much uh, focused on similar things. But the forbidding to marry maybe is the hardest one here to comprehend. Uh, and what is that really? All about is this is this about some kind of monasticism, or is this about something else and I think it's about something else. I think it's about something that's just developing it's been developing all along in the minds of humanity, but um Satan is fostering the idea that marriage and family are to be avoided because God has created. The man and the woman for marriage and family, we just spent how many weeks going through that subject here very recently, right um, so forbidding to marry, I think it's it's an attack directly against marriage and family that will be culminated and brought to a full completion in the tribulation period. But we already see the early foreshadowings of this uh, now, today, right? So really, it's a satanic lie that has great power that's taken over the hearts and minds of many. And even believers are caught up in it, and they're even willing to give up their faith in order to comply with the satanic lie, right? And that's really what the teaching is that we see Highlighted here. Well, let's finish up the section and find out uh, more about how good ministers must first nourish themselves, because if they don't, they won't be able to nourish their brethren, right? first uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. Linda, Linda, please read that for us.
2: If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Nourished up in the words of the faith and of good doctrine, where unto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself, rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that is in, now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all accept- acceptation. Therefore, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach.
0: Thank you so much, Linda.
2: <clears throat> By the way, I like that verse, uh, physical uh, exercise, a uh, prophet of little.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, well, <laughs> I think it should have put they should have put in there a little A in front of a little. It profits a little. <laughs> it doesn't profit as much as one might hope for, unfortunately. Uh, but godliness, see, the focus here is on the mystery of godliness that he's uh, finished the former chapter with. That's why I went back there today to remind you of that, really. God is working in and through us. We have the life of Christ now. We're enjoying that. He changes everything day by day, hour by hour, right? And uh, so our own godliness is what's truly profitable. That's what verse 8 is teaching. It has promise of the life that now is, yes, indeed, and of that which is to come. Um, An extreme focus on the body and the physical realm is very much a critical aspect of our times. That's where people's minds are. And it's upon feelings. It's upon pleasure. It's upon the five senses. It's upon uh, focusing on those things uh, to the exclusion of uh, spiritual, of truly spiritual truth. Uh, And so that's where paul uh, exhorts timothy even back then that was true it's it's certainly true today as well and teachings that's good will promote a true spiritual godliness it will not be a, a new age kind of spirituality which is being promoted everywhere even in the churches i mean that yoga would even have any place at all in the churches is pretty shocking it should be pretty shocking to us right and yet it is. It's widely accepted. That meditation, what they call oneness thinking, uh, even forgetting their, their terminology now, <clears throat> is being promoted in the schools, right? Uh, this is all a focus which is satanic, and Paul is very strongly exhorting Timothy to stay clear of that. So Paul was made a minister of the mystery. And that changed so much for him, didn't it? He was willing to suffer the loss of all things for the sake of Christ. How much are we willing to lose for the sake of those who still have not heard this precious truth and this transforming message? How much? Well, we may find in the dark days in which we live that we're called upon to sacrifice far more than we ever expected. But uh, as we've been reminded here this morning, these are opportunities for us to display the light of the glory of God. And as Paul writes of it, the light of the glory of God, and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Where are they to see that? It's in us. It's in us. So praise God for the mystery of godliness and how he will continue to work that out in each of us. So I pray that we'll all be encouraged that as the times may seem to turn even darker, uh, may we be the light that many need to see. If we could see things from God's perspective, would we see them getting even darker? I don't know. Think about the Dark Ages, for example, the Middle Ages, the Reformation, when some stood forth to proclaim the truth, and yet many were martyred, right? What kind of a time are we entering into now? I pray that we won't enter into that, but we will wait on the Lord to see. He still has much to do. (laughs) We know that. Proof of that is we haven't been called yet into heaven's glory. So praise God for his amazing word of truth. It's a glorious day when we consider that the Lord is the one doing the work. <laughs> what we are doing is resting in the glories of his grace and all the sufficiencies of that. Now let's pray. Father God, thank you for gathering us this morning and for the sound of the word which comes forth so strongly in the scripture set before us if only we would take in that spiritual food and not uh, that which is offered by the world, we would find our days quite different. <clears throat> I pray, Father, that we would do that increasingly and that you would remind us when we're in, in great need and uh, bring an understanding to our needy spirits in those days. In our- Father, may we rejoice in you and see your good hand resting upon each of us to your great honor and your great glory. And may godliness be seen in and through us. And I would ask this, Father, in Christ's name.